Welcome back for episode 45 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on August 17th, 2016 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the chat here. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us. This is your host, Blue Crew 86. Alongside me, we have the man who it has been said has the voice of a flower, Justin Sano 516. What's up, guys? And next up is the third member of our merry little band, our friendly neighborhood spokesman for Payin', Steeman Willie Beeman. Payin' be with you, my children. The topic of today's chat is going to be a look at the lore of the King's Fall Raid. Before we get into that, however, I did want to run through a few quick notes. In our last chat, we took a look at the lore of ghosts. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out www.focusfirechat.com for archives of all previous chats, as well as links to all our other various pages. If you don't mind, please give us some feedback on iTunes to let us know how we're doing as well. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Wednesday at around 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. We have also officially joined the Guardian Radio Network. If you are not already listening to the podcast over on the guardiansofdestiny.com, you need to fix that immediately. Guardian Radio and Guardian One are amazing groups, and we are truly honored to join them. Our next chat's going to be a discussion on the lore of the Awoken. Small note on next week's episode, in light of Destiny CommunityCon and all the the travel requirements, we're going to be actually recording that show on the evening of Tuesday, August 23rd, same time, 10 p.m. Central, but I'll be on a Tuesday instead of the normal Wednesday. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and dive into the information that we have about the King's Fall Raid. Yes, sir. And I believe that starts with the card Orcs, the Taking King. And it, it explains a lot of what the developers were saying leading up to uh, the Taking King dropping. Yeah, and just real quick before and we jump in, um, I did want to say in the similar fashion to what we did with the Crota's End raid, um, we try to organize the cards that we're going to read. We try to organize them kind of in a a timeline that made sense so we kind of divided them before during and after the raid um so that that's kind of going to be we actually do have a method to the madness for this this episode's grimoire so just keep that in mind as well that is a very good point blue um and i do want to point out that it's mainly blue that does this and the rest of us just kind of go along with it so God love you, Blue. Thanks again. <laughs> With that being said, we have Orcs, the Taking King card. Where is my son? Where is Crota, your lord, your princely god, your godly prince? Tell me no lies. I feel his absence like a hole in my stomach. Where once his tender tribute wedded bird mounts, Now only hunger remains. 
hear me, O waning stars, O tattered rags of sky. I will stop her up with this tearing gulf with vengeance. And that was just a flavor text to begin that card, actually. Dearest Eris, Crotus Bane, now we shall see how well you wear that title. It's not all bad. Yes, the father of all your burdens comes to you with hate on his sword and hunger in his heart. But don't look at it that way. Did you not, when you lost your sight, gain another? Sharpen your intentions. When life is strength and strength is death, what is death if not hope? You just have to reach out and take it. And a lot of people rumor that to be uh, Toland speaking. Obviously, the beginning of the card, like the... uh, the flavor text is definitely works being really mad about the fact that his son is no longer with us. But the, the rest of that, you know, starting from dearest dearest, it, it seems like that's Toland thoughts, gentlemen. I would, yeah, I would, yeah, yeah, I would, that could be, but yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I completely, I mean, the only, the only other, well, no, I was about to say the only time we've ever seen a dialogue start with dearest anything or any of that, like, uh, almost textual lilt, um, has been from Toland. So Justin, I, I apologize. I spoke over you. What were you going to say? No, you didn't speak over me. I spoke under you. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I think we 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 were in agreement there. <laughs> I, I was saying I don't think I can see any anyone else it could be other than Tolan. <laughs> so. But yeah, yeah, that's I think that's right on the head. I mean, you've, that's that's Tolan's tone. It's his kind of speech patterns kind of match. Um, and. Uh, well, there is one other being that we know that speaks like this, but I highly well, doubt it was yeah, that. but even that's, I mean, are you, you're talking about, um, the book of sorrows, uh, calcified. I'm Fragment. talking about the deep baby. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 But that's the even, darkness. even that's kind of debated too. Cause there's, there's some debate there's kind of an argument if that's not maybe Toland. Even though, yeah, well, it's we really hard that. to justify that being Tolan since it's the Book of Sorrows, and theoretically was written before. So yeah, I mean, I don't know, but yes, the speech patterns between well, the two are extremely similar. Also, know for a fact that Tolan has actually spoken with the darkness himself, right, directly to the darkness, and he is the only one that we have other than orcs that has done so. I like on that it. Note. So, um, moving on from orcs, the taken King, we have the echo of orcs card. Um, and it reads abase yourself, weapons and instruments, submit yourself, shapes and gliders, automata all. I am orcs, Lord of shapes, carver of tablets, 
Behold the, my performance of the last true shape, the final axiom. Witness the space that I define. I approach the asymptote. I grow vast across topologies. I'm not simply connected. Dearest guardian, I write to you from a high place, from a place of high contempt. No, no, no. Don't be offended. Don't be so superficial. It's in the architecture of these spaces. They look down on you. I wander out here in words cut by sharp hive swords, and I send back these messages for you. Of Oryx, that admirable monarch, I have only a little to say. Why? Because he is all in the action, fellow traveler. His philosophy is all on display. He has twined himself closely to the power of he admires. He has become many-placed, many-formed, sending out emissaries of himself to ask after the truth. In each act of his power, Oryx seeks to incarnate the self-sustaining, immortal suzerainty that he worships. The power that he uses to wash his taking clean and etch them into useful shapes. Listen, listen, understand you simpleton. It's entirely obvious. Oryx inhabits a world where power is truth. To win is to be noble and to be real. When he departs from that world out into the material universe, he is lessened. The echoes of Oryx go forth to ask a question. Are you the truth? And that means, well, you see, I'm sure. So, I mean, I think we can agree this is probably Toland as well. Yes, I would. I, yeah, yes, I definitely do not disagree. This is this is Toland in the in the Hive Overworld. So, I did um, I did want to real quick just throw a few little definitions on a few of those terms that were used that I know they sometimes throw me for a loop. Um, the first one is the, a, um, a sim top or I, I sim tote. Um, it's a line that continually approaches a given curve, but does not meet it at any finite distance. So basically if you have a graph and you have like a, um, you know, a curve, the the asymptote is the line. It's a line that goes and it approaches that curve and it runs par- perfectly parallel. But it's gradually like technically, I think, I think technically, eventually this line will crease or, or, or cross the curve. But the actual, it, it's like you can't see it. It's always going to be slightly off. Um, which is which is kind of a nod to this being an echo of Oryx, um, and then the next one is topology. Um, he grows vast across topologies. A topology is another mathematical term. Um, remember that Oryx is also called the the geometer. The uh, and so a topology is the study of geometric properties and spatial relations unaffected by the continuous change of shape. Or size of figures so basically it's the properties and spatial relations that are unaffected by it's the study of that um the uh and, and he's the king of shapes right 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 he is he is the the king the king of shape the lord of shapes and the carver of tablets um the last one was this uh the suzerainty I don't, I'm not even, suzerainty, 
Um, this is actually a political uh, term, and it is a situation in which a powerful region or people controls the foreign policy and international relations of a tributary vassal state while allowing the subservient nation internal autonomy. Um, basically, what that means is they... It's... Um, I can try I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a real life situation right now. Uh sounds a lot like the taken. Yeah, well, yes, actually that's that's what I was going to say. The the one that always comes to me is really the the uh British treatment of India or any feudal lord. Um actually the medieval feudal lords were probably the bigger the better example. Uh, you would have a sovereign, you know, in a distant, distant country ruled over a smaller nation or nation state. And largely the, the smaller nation state was just allowed to do whatever it wanted to within its own borders. However, as soon as those borders were crossed and as soon as that nation state started involving other nation states, they had to bow to their feudal lord. And you you actually hit exactly where I was going with that, um, because it says that in each act of his power, Oryx seeks to incarnate the self-sustaining immortal suzerainty that he worships, and that is the deep. So the deep is kind of that. That's exactly where I was going with it. Was the Taken? He controls the Taken in the way that they interact with the world and interact with them with others other than themselves. But this almost seems to nod to a degree in which he allows the internal policing of themselves to be unique and individual to that individual entity. So, you know, I know there was during our taken episode, that was a huge debate is do the taken, are they just mere puppets or are they, you know, are they somewhat self self-aware? And we know that some of them were, but this is almost a nod that there is actually an in, innate, a degree of uh, individual self that is still left in that Taken, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit with the Taken Shiver um, later on. But that's actually the other the other nod to that that you know a, a degree of individuality within the Taken. So, but those those were some of the terms in this card that I I know I've um, I've had some you know I get hung up on sometimes so. Yeah, and I like it, uh, the statement that says every time that he enters this material universe, he's lessened. And it kind of makes sense why he sends out echoes as opposed to. Right, right. Well, and it also, I mean, if you think about it, these echoes are literally, um, literally echoes. Like they, they are, you know, somewhat, I always kind of viewed them as somewhat, uh, Lord generals that he can send out and, you know, it allows him to basically, the the thing that always comes to mind is the star Wars thing where he, you know, the holograms, this is basically a hologram of him in so far that this hologram can actually kill you. But, you know, it's, it's the emperor communicating with his different lieutenants and generals and, you know, all that. So, Did we want to touch on the court of Oryx next? Yeah, I want you to take that one. All right, this one's this one's got an interesting 
bit of flavor on on the start of it. So it's the Court of Oryx. Oryx ascends from the netherworld. The knights, like hot stone, the beast, like scarred bone, walk at his side. Who walked in front of him? His daughters, with the truth between them. Who walked at his side? His priest of worms, whose tribute tasted like an egg. Who walked behind him? Golgoroth, who festered. Who walked within him? The satiated worm. It was hungry, but it was fed. They preceded him. These ones surrounded Oryx. They were beings who know no rest or doubt, who eat nor shed any flesh, who drink no clear poison, who take away the weakness from the weak, whose violence is tithed to Oryx so that he may devour without being devoured. And then it goes on and it says, Are you following this? Would it help if I etched a few notes in the, on the margins? I didn't shuck my mortal form and smuggle this nightmare arcana back to the waking world for the benefit of that masked hypocrite's drooling, loyal orthodox. Whoever finds this, I hope you're sharp. I hope you read closely. Oryx depends on his court. Oryx depends on his shrines. Do you see why? Punish that dependence. And in similar vein to the previous two cards, this is this is obviously Toland. Um, I actually do kind of like the slight nod to the etch a few notes in the margins. Um, we've had a couple not or a couple comments on a few other characters within the the grimoire who have been scribbled names have been scribbled in the margins of text. Um, you know, Pradith was his name was scribbled. In the name of text, we have Savathun who graffitied the Books of Sorrow with notes. So I, I, I mean, are you guys? You guys, I assume, are in agreement that this is definitely Tolan. Oh yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And he seems to be kind of I don't know his t- his tone towards orcs at this point is kind of back and forth. In the previous card, he actually referred to him as an admirable monarch. Right. Um. But in this card, he's very much, very clearly on our side. Um, I would hesitate on that. He is he is against well, Oryx. He's well. I think he's. I think he is on nobody's side. He wants. I think he's on Tolan's side. Yeah, there you go. But, but he does give us some useful info here, right? And I think. Well, I mean. <laughs> I uh I think that Toland is a servant of sword logic. Not well, it's servants of servants a strong word. He understands sword logic in a very intimate setting, like in an intimate way. And I think, you know, without getting too far into a Toland debate, I would say that Toland views the most sure way of overthrowing this threat that Oryx poses is via sword logic because he's like, Hey, this guy has opened his, his, you know, he's opened his defenses because he, because they're silly and they, they're like, Hey, challenge me and I'll fight you. He's like, and that's exactly what he's saying right here. He's like, look, he's showing you his weaknesses these, this is where this is his Achilles heel. Make sure to cut it. Um, I also love the 
just blatant disregard he has towards the speaker. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I hesitate to say that Toland's on anyone's side other than Toland, but he's definitely not for Oryx. Yeah, it just doesn't sound like he's gone fully native yet in this. Uh, yeah, and I mean, even even some of the later far. cards, like I don't think I never get the sense that Toland is. I don't. I don't get the sense that Toland is like trying to actively destroy everything. I think he's trying, in his own twisted way, to point out the path to save things if that makes sense. Like he, he's, he's trying, I think he's trying. Yeah. Hurt chain and chat. That's exactly kind of what I'm thinking is the Tolan versus Savathun. He's using guardians as weapons against a threat that he sees, but I don't know if the threat is against him or if he thinks that it's a threat. Like I don't, I don't, the ultimate goal for Toland, I'm not, I can't put my finger on. Which I also I think is the point, but I know the next card we're going to start kind of getting into the the introduction really of the mechanics and kind of like what the event that led into the raid itself. And I think Willie, you want to grab that card? Yeah, I've got it. I believe that's regicide. Yes. Yeah, that would be the regicide card. Okay. And so, the king has been slain, driven out of our world. Heirs and Ikor have already been planning a way to assault the Ascendant Realm and end the threat of orcs once and for all. The Guardian will lead the fire team, no doubt. Once they have had a chance to stop and breathe, in the meantime, we're leveraging all available hidden and awoken intelligence assets to understand the threat of the Taken Army left behind. The other members of the Vanguard have begun drawing up assault plans, and I have full faith and confidence we'll see that this threat is put to rest as well. Commander's Vala, transmission to the Traveler's uh, Observatory. So that's just TLDR. Zavala, given his two cents on the uh, Taken Invasion when we had it in yeah, and that's that's after the yeah. the mission that we see the cell, which is what I call the entire regicide boss fight is the cell, because that's all I can think of that entire time. But and so I mean that that one's actually pretty pretty straightforward, right? I mean it's just a report from yeah. Zavala being like, hey, yeah, the Guardian's going to do it, but he's got to take a breather, or she's got to take a breather because, you know, they just killed the physical form of this thing, so give him a second. Um, Which is followed very closely by, I think it's the Oryx Rebuked card, and Justin, did you have that one? Yes, sir. Yeah, so that, that Regicide card happens at the end of the TTK story, 
And then mm. it's right before we actually go on what we know is the King's Fall raid. Um, but this card is Oryx Rebuked. In the world, the stars never shone. The worm never bred in our flesh. We lived for a day. Our teeth were too short. We were hungry for things we could not eat. Hello again. It's me. I'm sure you know my name. Let me talk a while. Let me talk. I do take a debased joy in speaking again to small human form heads. When Crota's victory over our little blue world seemed certain. A moment of silence now for Wei Ning, whose directness I admired. It was Oryx who called his child back into the netherworld to plan final victory. It was Oryx that the violence of his spawn was tithed. Oryx is the wielder and the servant of a terrible truth. He has predicated himself on it. He has pursued across a thousand of Cairn worlds his quest to embody it. And you have seen the force of that truth expended to create this taken. He is not a simple thing to kill. He wants to be isomorphic to conquest, to triumph, to killing and death. He is a syllogism now, but in time, he hopes to become an axiom. This is his strength and his fatal weakness. For if he ever falters in his performance, if the inflow of devastation ever falls behind his expenditure of ruin, he will be consumed. If he is ever outmatched, then by the terms of his own existence, he will cease. It is to Oryx himself in the heart of the Dreadnought that armors and encapsulates his throne world, that you must make your last and surest argument. Good luck. Do let me know if a vacancy opens. I love that. I love that ending. Does he think it's jobs.com? Yeah, that's it? obviously, this is glass doors. I mean, this is, this, this is glassdoor.com. I mean, obviously, this is the Hive Glassdoor website. Or Guardian, what is it? What would that be? The Light, light In? LinkedIn. Link, no, you know, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to do a Destiny version of LinkedIn. I'm trying to think of what that would be. Uh, I don't oh, know. Yeah. But, yeah. That's totally that's yeah, that's exactly I'm 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 gonna put my resume on this desk right here. Just let me know if uh yeah. But I mean he, again he's pointing out he's pointing out the weakness. He's he's saying he's I mean he he's pointing to this whole thing and is like this is the Achilles heel of this entire pyramid scheme that Oryx has built, you know, just the same that we done. And, you know, we kind of said a little bit about this when we talked about Crota's and just the same that we did with Crota. This is how you're going to take out this King. You know, you thought Crota was after you're done with this, Crota is going to be a walk in the park compared, but the logic follows, take out the, take out the legs of the stool and the stool falls because there's nothing supporting it. So, I mean, that, at least that's... And then, of course, he's like, here's my resume. Um, I don't... I mean, there's... Well, and this also this also did confirm uh, that Crota was pulled back from pushing the advantage. Yes, and uh, there's actually... Um, 
when when talking about kind of the way Oryx wants to, you know, remake himself, um, it it speaks about him wanting but be, wanting to become an axiom, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think it also I think it also says he. Yeah, he is a syllogism now, but at time he hopes to become an axiom. Um, right. So, so I did have to, I did have to define those for just, right. just for myself. Yeah. So, a syllogism is actually a an instance of a form of reasoning in which a conclusion is drawn, whether validly or not, from two given or assumed propositions or premises, each of which shares a term with the conclusion. And shares a common or middle term that is not present in the conclusion. Uh, for example, all dogs are animals. All animals have four legs. Therefore, all dogs have four legs. Um, and an axiom is just quite simply a statement or a proposition that is regarded as being established, uh, accepted, or self-evidently true. So he just wants to be. He wants to be a. Uh, I view the syllogism as a more imperfect truth um, that that can be kind of flawed logically, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of what he he is right now. But as he, you know, strives to become more perfect and and strives for that perfect shape, mm-hmm. he hopes to become an axiom, which yeah. would be something that that is, you know, that there's no debating. Yeah, it's almost like he's he. I mean, well, and I'll be a little tongue in cheek. It's He's, it's like he's trying to become the final shape, which, which he is for those who aren't following the, the sarcasm there. That's exactly his entire point is he, he wants to become that final shape. He wants to become that final and perfect shape. And whereas you're, you know, exactly what you're saying. Whereas right now he is just merely a, a semi final shape. He's not, he's not, he's one of the the he's on the like the lat the second to last step or the third to lot you know depending on the hierarchy you want to go to right? mm-hmm. he's getting there but he's not there but in hope in time he hopes to become that final shape which if you remember from books of sorrow that was what the great betrayal card was all about his getting pissed off when he finally real realized the entire you know damage of the faustian bargain that they made with the worm gods was because they were tricked because they're stupid but well they were desperate i guess i should be fair to them they they were extremely desperate easy demo um so and it also says he wants to become he wants to become isomorphic to conquest and isomorphic is another one that's just they they brought out the the college dictionary on this one but uh it's actually corresponding or similar in form. So he wants to be the same as conquest. He wants to be the definition of conquest, triumph, killing and death. Mm -hmm. And he's an imperfect truth right now, or a syllogism. And he hopes to become an absolute truth or an axiom. So that, that was, that's that. That that just brings, I mean, I could go, we could go on a tangent on that conversation alone for hours on the whole impact of being an imperfect truth compared to a truth. But let's, yeah, 
I'm going to cut myself off from that tangent and not not punish people for the philosophical debate that that will flow into. Um, and let's go and talk about the the road to King's Fall. You good with that? Hit it. <laughs> okay. So the last card that we have of kind of the setup for the King's Fall raid is the card that's called the Road to King's Fall. Um, this one actually kind of there was a bit of a debate um, I, between if this should be after or before the raid, and I kind of feel like it should be before, um, simply because I don't. It just feels like it was before. And I think actually, if I remember correct, and I'm going off the top of my head, you actually get the road to King's Fall before the raid. Justin, can you confirm that for me when when we get this card? When we get the uh yeah. Yeah, we get the the road to King's Fall card. It's before the raid, right? Oh, I'm I'm thinking of the quest. We get the quest before the raid. Do we get I, the, I can't remember if we get the card. Isn't I uh, yeah, green eyed when we complete I'm, the quest. I think it's right after we, regicide. Yeah, that's I know we get the quest right after regicide. Um, I can't remember if we get the card upon completion of the quest or if we get it when we get the quest. Okay, but it's prior to the exactly. raid, basically. So we do we get the card. This card is actually meant as kind of a setup for the raid, even though it you can read this and actually kind of take it as a post-raid. So that all being said, this is the road to King's Fall. And it says, We have confirmed it among our number within the hidden. I have asked Ikora's warlocks to reach out, and they sense nothing. The orb is quiet. On the moon, his shrine is dark and cold. It is true. The Taken King is dead. The Hive's dark god and his foul son have been purged from the universe. She was right, scholar. Queen Mara was right. It is all down to the guardians now. Let us hope... They are up to the task ahead of them. Eris Morn, undisclosed report to Osiris. So uh, this is another another report. Um, Zavala is reporting to the speaker. Eris is reporting to Osiris, as everyone should report to Osiris in general. So, you know, everything is right. Eris is on the right path. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, 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 you know, anyways... Um, no, Bungie did that one to us. So great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, again, just like the the Zavala report, it's it's a pretty straightforward, um, just a report. It's just saying, hey, they killed him. Now it's up to them. And I'm and like I said, if you read this before the raid, this is them getting ready to jump into the ascendant realm and really take the head off the snake. Is there any, any debate on that one, you guys? Or do no, you wanna... no, that one's pretty straightforward. Pretty yeah. clean cut. So, and, and that kind of puts us into the start of the raid. Now, there is only four cards, really. There's actually, there's a little bit of a nod to a fifth card, but we're not going to actually read that card of during the um, the raid. Um but there, there are four cards. Now, the, the only downside to this is that there are actually a good number of sections of the raid um, that don't have cards associated with them. 
So what I figured we'd do is we kind of do a, a combo walkthrough. We're going to walk through a little bit of the segments, and then as we get to segments that have a grimoire card associated with them, we can we can tackle those cards. Is that does that sound good to you guys? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, so, let's do it. All right, perfect. All right, so. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna kind of go on the assumption. I know that not a lot of people have done the King's Fall raid. I think the percentage, if I remember last time I looked, was like 18 percent of Destiny players have have finished wow. the raid. I think. I think that might have been finished. So I'm assuming that at least a few people have jumped. At, or at least a good number of people have jumped into the raid. Um. So we're gonna we're gonna try to we're gonna we're going to talk about mechanics a bit. But we're going to talk about mechanics, not in the sense of game mechanics, but in the sense of how those mechanics portray the lore. Um, and so there are, and all this will be detailed out on the mind map that we have linked in the show notes. So if you have any, you know, thing that you want more detail on, definitely check that out. Uh, Green-Eyed and Uni helped out a ton with that uh, co-ed. And, you know, the, we we kind of tried to organize this pretty pretty pretty. F- clearly um the first segment when you first drop into the raid is a segment that's usually called the hall of souls now what this is is a basically it's it's a it's kind of like us knocking on the door um to open the challenge and we we talked about this a little bit in chat and what we have to what the mechanics is you have to do is you have to retrieve these relics, um, which are also many of us might recognize them as tomb husks. Um, and then you, you basically slam them in which, uh, yeah, tomb husk basketball. Thank you, pens. Um, you slam them into a, a, I guess a, a goal or a receptacle underneath these statues. And the thing is, is you have to get two husk for each statue and there are six statues. So there's, the way that a lot of people kind of look at this is that this is us. It's a combination of knocking on the door and unlocking the lock. Uh, you have to get the right combination in the statues, which is really simple. It's the only two combinations. So it's not like you have to jury rig this thing, but you have to get two husk for each statue. There are st- six statues. So that's, you know, 12 total, 12 husks total. Um, and then once you do this, a portal opens and your team can go through now fun fact is of course as you can probably assume it's not really just the simple matter of going to retrieve tomb husk and bringing them back into the the hall of souls there's there's enemies and they're going to be trying to prevent you from doing this and it's again starting here it's very very clear king's fall it's just as the same as crota's it's a test. It's a challenge of your strength against the strength of the person, the the boss or the the raid boss, I guess, ultimately. It's a, your test against the strength of the hive. Are you worthy to continue to the next step? And that's what every segment, the overlying theme is. That's what it is. It's a challenge. You are proving yourself worthy to continue. Um and really, that's that's Hall of Souls. Uh, there was there was a bit of a conversation about what exactly a tomb husk is. Um, you know, a lot of the chat we kind of we kind of seem to agree. 
that it was basically us emulating a a tribute flow using the soul that's stored within the husk to pay tribute to the statue in order to move to the next statue. So each husk has a repository of, um, we don't really know. We know that there is spiritual engineer energy in those husks. We don't know if that's ascendant energy or just, it's just, you know, spiritual energy in general, but you basically pay that as tribute to the statue. It moves to the next statue and then to the next and then to the next. And then once you get to the final statue and you've paid the allotted amount of tribute, you have proven that you can, you know, you have enough tribute to move to the next stage, which brings us to what's usually called the porticulus. Um, now, this is basically a jumping problem or jumping puzzle. Uh, the first part is what I like calling the Prince of Persia segment, and it's where there's these giant pendulums, pendulum like devices swinging. You just jump across. You just, I mean, there's not not a lot going on here. Um, once you get past that, then you get to the real fun part and that's the tomb ships and the, um, the tomb ships are kind of an interesting, interesting thing as far as lore goes, because one of the things that we talked about in the chat was the size disparity um, the size disparity of the, the tomb ships are really odd because if you actually think about it, they're, they're not really like, a they're not big. <laughs> they're, they're really not that large. Like as far as like, you know, when we see a tomb ship jump in and drop people off, they're very, they're very, very, very large ships. And these that we are jumping on the back of, um, yeah, hurt chain, hurt chain and Chad, it's Oryx's garage. Um, the other joke was that these are the uh, the the sports cars. These are the four four seaters, not the minivans that we see later on. Um, but they're you know they're all very very much smaller than the ones that we usually encounter in the wild. Um, but again, you jump on the back of the tomb ships, um, and then once you get past the tomb ships. Yeah, the the sport class ones, according to the chat. Um, Once you get past the sport class tomb ships, you have to go through a force field. Um, Now, the interesting thing about this force field is that it's controlled by our favorite thing, the access plates. And the interesting thing here is that the access plates actually require team effort. So it kind of almost flies in the face of what we understand as sword logic, which is the singular standing above all, because it requires us to work in in tandem to, you have to have two people stand on two access plates, which then drops the field and allows the rest of the team to go through, which once they're through, they have to stand on two plates to do the same, to allow the other, the remain, the two that stayed back to come through. Right. Um, do you guys have, I'm going through these pretty fast because there's really not grimoire cards that I'm talking about here. So am I missing anything so far? No, I think you pretty much got it. Okay. Um, Justin, you got anything I missed? Yeah, I just, um, maybe we'll get into it later. I've, I've got kind of my own deal, my own idea of the 
access plates mechanically. Mechanic. Okay, mechanically. Okay. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna get. I, I want to get through just the, like the basic, like I said, the basic introduction to it, and then we can come. We can swing back by. Um, yeah. yeah. Where were we? Okay, so then once we get through all this, we get to the segment that's called the War Priest Trial. Now, this is actually where we start getting uh, back into the grimoire. There is a, there is a grimoire card for the War Priest. However, before we get to the War Priest, before we we are allowed to have an audience with the War Priest, we have to prove ourselves worthy for that audience. And by and what we have to do to do that is actually survive. There's a there's a, I guess an antechamber to his reception hall, and in that antechamber there's three rooms, two of which are filled with I I can't remember what exactly it's called, but it's basically poison, and there's the annihilator totem. So again, we're we're visited by these annihilator totems. Um, we have to survive. I think it's roughly 10 cycles um, in the, in this, what's usually called the totem room. Um, And then once we survive the annihilator totems, we, you'll, you'll see if you, if you're running through the raid, you'll see that you have the war priest has deemed you worthy. And what that, what that literally is, is that it's saying that the war priest has been watching you and he has been, and he has deemed you worthy to continue and to continue through that door and to have an audience with him. Fun fact is this is not an audience that most people will want to have because this is an audience that is comprised of a challenge of strength for strength. And I'm going to let Willie take on the War Priest Grimoire card right now just to kind of give us an idea of what this figure is and then we're going to we're going to come back and talk about a little bit a little bit more about the mechanics of the fight. 585 times he paced the way. Under each circuit was a world. He took up the worlds. He placed them in his hand. He weighed them from the golden amputation to the gift mast. The principle he put upon his brow was slaughter, constant and escalating. The principle he put out behind his was an eye was victory, which was the last true shape. The principle he put in his hands was tribute to orcs, the taking king, tithing to his lord, that the first navigator might escape the need for substance, and the worm needed that he might use his his power to lead the most final work, a most faithful servant, most faithful. From Mighty Crota... Son of Navigation, Sword of Pits, Hiller and Omega's Oversoul saying, Challenge me by the law of my ascendance. Match me in bloodshed or in blood be drowned. And that is pretty much a whole card right there, which is pretty telling. And I love it. Yeah, that last part is so metal. <laughs> I'm just saying, dude. Like, <laughs> or in bloodshed be drowned. It's yeah. like it's so metal, dude. Yeah, that's so metal. So the the war priest is basically a giant night morph. He is the 
the is he like the principal commander? I think that's correct of of uh, Orcs's armies. Yeah, yeah, uh, one of them. Yes, yes, one of them. But um, yeah, and there's he's got a couple of a couple of pretty uh pretty intricate mechanics to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you want to go ahead and talk about that now, Blue, or do you want to move um, on to the cards? We we can. I really, really, really quickly just wanted to point out the pretty nice little tie-in to the books of sorrow with the war priest, uh, with the golden, the golden amputation. Uh, the golden amputation was actually a, it's actually one of my favorite aspects of the books of sorrow, because I just want more information about them. Uh, it is the war against the Tashi Beth, which was basically what is described as space ravens. Um, and, it's just or sun raven sorry um it's just oh the, the the entire card it's uh card is xxx a golden amputation and so it's 30 a golden amputation it's verse verse 4.0 and there and i'm not going to read the, this was the card that i said i'm not going to read the full card um because it doesn't actually have anything to do with the raid other than pointing to the war priest uh battle capabilities and it says, on the third pace, Oryx's war priest meets them in battle, and he is victorious. He paints the void with fire. He salts the earth with ash. Um, so, again, this 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 character that we're facing off against is an extremely old and extremely powerful figure. And he just... I mean, again... Golden amputation is one of those one of those little tidbits in in the grimoire that I'm just like I, I just want to know more because I just want to see the Thai Emperor Raven. That's all I want mm-hmm. um, because it just she just sounds amazing. She cuts a moon with her talons. I mean, it's just uh, such an awesome mental image. But the war priest, he there there's a couple interesting things about the war priest that come to mind immediately the first being that he actually doesn't have a sword he has a boomer and if you remember back when we were talking with crota's in that was one of the critiques that they were talking about the sword being a more personal killing machine so it's just it's a very interesting juxtaposition to me because the war priest is the high priest basically of sword logic and yet he's not using a sword I've always not really understood that, but I think that's more the mechanics kind of imposing themselves on the on the lore here. But uh yeah, I just uh the war priest just is this this figure that he has such an interesting he he just seems like he would have such an intriguing story that I would just love to know. I would love to hear his entire history. So, but no, mechanics, uh, I'll let you, you take the lead on the mechanics talk for the war priest. Okay. Um, so basically when, uh, when you start, you start the war priest fight by, again, it's kind of a recurring theme. Um, uh, you step on three plates in any order. You just have to be on all three at once to, to uh, bring out the war priest, 
at which point you'll get a heavy dose of ads. And uh, after you shoot the mans for a little bit, a yellow bar knight will come out. And it's escaping me whether or not he actually has a special name or not. No, uh, they I don't. I don't think th- it does. Because there's three of them. And I don't think any Yeah, of there's them three have. of them. But I didn't. Well, we I didn't know if they had a special title. I well, we've remember. given them names, but we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna tell them. <laughs> we're not gonna say those names on this podcast. So, so um, after after each after each side or each plate, the if you if you chop up the the room into thirds for the three plates, has killed their yellow bar knight a a thing called the glyph sequence will start and the war priest will place a burning rune over one of three totems, um, which are over in front of each plate. And basically you have to step on the plates in that order. So it's, it's almost like not only is he, is he testing your power? He's testing your kind of your come, your cunning and being able to think mm-hmm. on your feet. Um, and if you complete the, the glyph sequence, um, after completing the glyph sequence, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here to remember the names of the, the name of the aura in the war priest. Fight. Uh, the brand of the brand of the Is initiate it the brand of the initiate. Yes. Okay. So you will receive, if you were the last one to step on the plate, if you were the last glyph in the glyph sequence, you will receive the brand of the initiate and uh, everyone else will stand inside your aura, the aura of the initiate. Um, This is important because it's the only way you're going to do any damage to the war priest. Um, You have the brand of the initiate and the only way to keep the brand of the initiate up is to kill up to six ads, I believe six acolytes that will run out into the middle and you kind of, Rinse and repeat, and just like Golgoroth, it's it's kind of these these things kind of follow a pattern. After a certain point, you'll get a taken phase where taken will come out instead of instead of a regular hive, and I think that's just more. I, I don't know if really that has lore implications other than they just want to. If you've been going so long, they want to amp up the difficulty, so you just don't mm-hmm. you know farm it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so it's I, I've always found this uh, really interesting. This collection of mechanics in the War Priest fight, just because he strikes me as being this this kind of proponent of raw power, and the the like the glyph sequence just seems to be a very a very kind of intricate thing for for him it just doesn't seem to fit with his with what i view his character makeup to be well like i picture the war priest as being the guy that says 1v1 me bro and taking and takes off his shirt you know what i mean like yeah i mean arm wrestling i i I see that oh no yeah because i do i was gonna say but i thought he sent the blight no that was kragor kragor sent the accursed the blight in the golden amputation, yeah, war priest, oh, the war did, priest met them in that. battle. He he actually met them in battle. So yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. I I think he does kind of. I mean, and to a degree, he does. I mean, 
he he does. You you actually have to you have to put damage on him. Yeah. Whereas you know and, later we we don't actually put damage on some of the bosses yeah. in this raid. And I, I will I will mention this. Um, I did forget one of the most important mechanics um, in the whole Warpriest <laughs> fight is directly after directly after you do your burn phase on the war on the Warpriest you you go through your you go through your ads with the brand and the initiate. Um, immediately after you have to say Stevie Wonder's inbound and and be careful because the the large blindness balls that the taken captains throw will start to fly. So that's important. That's important. So there's there's also the Oculus. Uh the Oculus. Oh yeah, I forgot the Oculus. Why don't you take the Oculus? So the Oculus is we we heard here Almost that he he learned to make his own oversoul um, from Crota. Nonetheless, the son of navigation sort of pits. Uh, he learned to make his oversoul and that's kind of what the Oculus is. Uh, so, you know, the over there's, there's a multifaceted layer of the oversoul, but one of them is that the Oculus. Yep. Yeah, hurt changes. Put that in chat. The weaponized oversoul. He he has he has modified his oversoul in such a way that it is actually able to be completely weaponized on command. Uh, when we fought Crota, it was only when we uh, one of our party fell that he would activate the oversoul, and you know there's there's a couple con- implications there. But here, it's at the end of his at the at the end of his minions being eradicated he activates the oculus and the way that we have to stay the the way that we survive the oculus is by staying out of the light this is one of the one of the more intriguing juxtapositions is we actually don't want to be touched by the light on this this particular uh uh, mechanism um and again this is starting to also really really show the emphasis of teamwork um because you know the brand of the initiate the person who's holding that brand isn't able to put damage on the war priest he he had or he he or she that guardian has to focus on keeping that brand as long as possible so that the team can put damage on the war priest and again, I'm gonna go. I'm and I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come back to this later, especially with the Oryx fight. The emphasis is teamwork, 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 teamwork. Um, and I, I mean, that's really that's really the mechanics of the War Priest. And then once once we get done with the War Priest, and we have we have defeated him, we go through another portal, and we find ourselves in. Golgoroth Cellar. And this this segment of the raid has a couple different pieces. Uh, the first piece is actually a maze. There's a number of hidden chests, and you know, there's you know, there's there's many maps out there for those of you who are hunting for those chests for those calcified fragments. Um, and then once we survive the the winding ways through here, and there's a couple interesting little you know trivia facts inside this this maze. Uh, there's there's a lot of moths, uh, and I think that 
the common assumption, and I want to I want to say it's the Death Head Moth. I want to say I'm going to make sure I'm reading this right. Oh, the the Hawk Moth, the Death Moth. Yeah, uh, because there's there's a huge huge connection to the moths and the larva and the whole dreadnought like it's there's a there's a huge connection and then this also ties back to crota's uh crota's end the cloak that you get as a hunter is the shroud a shroud of some i can't remember off the top of my head but it's basically a nod to the death moth um there's a lot of nods to this death moth and so there's actually there's actually death moths flying around in the maze of Golgoroth's cellar. Um, and then once we get through the maze, yes, thank you, Green Eye. They, they, they are supposedly, they collect where souls have perished, um, is one of the, one of the things about them. Uh, so once, once we get through the maze, we come to. Yeah. Squiggles as we have, come to call it well Goldie. as my yeah as as our clan my clan has come to call him squiggles or golgoroth um spider back <laughs> there's so many nicknames for golgoroth um but i'm gonna i'm gonna let justin kind of sound the same way we actually have a grimoire card on golgoroth and it's a really fun one uh so justin why don't you take that yeah so just before i get into this super serious card i just want to share something with you the first time I killed Golgoroth, I totally expected him to flip over on his back and crawl away like a spider. <laughs> just <laughs> and just like go off frame. But um and if Bungie could make that happen just once for April Fools or something, that would be amazing. Just have <laughs> Golgoroth flip over on his back with his feet in the air, just spider back out of the <laughs> off the map. Be amazing. So Anyways, Golgoroth, the monstrosity. Um, Speak to the heart with burrowing things. The burrowing things will strengthen the heart. You, Abzol, you teach the new flesh out of the old. Zol issued you to eat us. The new flesh will be testament. O ear, decree the shape of this new thing. Judge its testament to the last truth. This new shape is Golgoroth. Crota rose to petition. Father cut the shapes into a tablet. Give me the tablet. I will bear it in battle. And tithe one side of my sword to you. Oryx cut the shapes into a tablet, but he guarded the shapes. He set the tablet in Golgoroth, where the new flesh grew as ear decreed it. Like ice on a stone, he rebuked Crota. From the temples of his son, from the left of his blade, in battle he demanded tithings of violence. To Oryx, the first navigator, who directed the movements of great masses. Yeah, so Gogoroth, um, created by Zol. And I just get this image in my head that there was like a lot of leftovers on the table. And they're just like, yeah, we'll give you some of that and some of this and... Yeah, and there's there's a really giant Luki on your back, <laughs> <laughs> and also 
Um, just pro tip: after you kill Golgoth, you can crouch and just walk straight through oh him. Oh God! And uh, there is no tablet going. ruin in there. I've been in there. There's no tablet. No, the ruin. tablet is behind him. He guards the tablet. That's what well, it lights it says, up. It says it's inside him, though. <sighs> he set the tablet in yeah, Golgoroth. No, I know. Maybe but, Golgoroth passed it, and then he put it up in the back of the map. So there, there is a one little <laughs> thing that I would like to point out too is the 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 name Abzol. The prefix Ab means away or from. And so Abzol actually means from Zol. Uh, and Zol is one of the warm gods. So we, we actually have a, a couple warm gods mentioned here. We have Zol and Ear. Now, if you go back to the episode that we talked about the warm gods in, you'll remember that I kind of went off on a tangent about Ear. And Ear is a nod to a, a Norse spiritual figure who is associated a lot with the meta- medical practice. Uh, and so ear actually is attributed with creation of a lot of the monstrosities of the hive that we encounter. The interesting point here is that Zol actually issued Golgoroth to consume the hive and ear decreed that it was to protect and guard. So the new so because it says Zol issued us issued you to eat us the new flesh will be testament O ear decree the sheep the shape of this new thing judge its testament to the last truth this new shape is Golgoroth and then he later later down in the card remember he says or it says he set the tablet in Golgoroth where the new flesh grew as ear decreed it so ear actually seemed to take the creation of Zol and repurpose it. Zol was trying to destroy and Ear actually set it to guard and protect. So I I just found that that was an interesting little tidbit because it almost also points that the worm gods themselves aren't on the same page sometimes. Oh yeah. Well, um another interesting uh, speaking of hive not being on the same page, uh another interesting thing from this card is you get to you get to hear about the creation of the tablets of ruin, right? And uh, you you get to see Crota say, "Hey, give me that! I'll wear that on my back. I'll be awesome." And then Orc says, "No, I'm going to give it this giant idiot ogre instead." So yet again, this is a running joke in pretty much every single lore community I'm a part of. Is Crota is like the stepchild that is just constantly put down. Like yeah. every time he tries to do something, it's just, no, no, just, just stop. Just, it's like, <laughs> he's like, dad, he doesn't even know what to do with it. He ate it. <laughs> you gave it to the dog. Yeah. <laughs> and then he gets oh picked up by his feet and gracious. thrown through a Vex portal. So, you know, <laughs> he can't, he can't win for losing. Yeah. <laughs> So, I'm sorry. I just, about- I just, it cracks me up because it's like it almost makes you feel bad for Crota. Not really. Not really. But you no. know, and and so, anyways, um, 
Now, there is an interesting thing that gets introduced into the Golgoroth fight mechanics when you play it on a heroic level, and that is the unstable light mechanic. And this is this is a kind of a, a fun little tidbit. This is when players will actually become bombs because you become un- your light becomes unstable and you blow up and you will actually wipe your team. So watch out for that if you haven't experienced it. It's kind of a surprise. Um and it's not fun. So and it there's is no yeah, there's no pretending it wasn't you <laughs> when there's five skulls or four skulls or whatever and uh just you. Yeah. There's no going who had it. <laughs> I know someone who did that on multiple occasions. No. The night challenge mode came out. Yeah. Or no. hard mode came out. Um yeah. The the part about the unstable light is that um well and we'll we'll kind of actually get to it when we talk about Oryx <clears throat> because that's actually a very, very important thing to keep in the back of your mind when you fight Oryx is this concept of unstable light. So just it's it's kind of a a uh harbinger of what's to come in the Oryx fight. And then, yeah, so um, no, what do you it. think the lore implications are of, of Unstable Light? I think it's it's a harbinger. It's just of a mechanic. What it, no, I think it's it's an indicator that light is is energy. Mm-hmm. It's not a soul. It's not you know. Yeah, I think it's yeah, energy, but- and energy can be converted to do the bidding of things. Yes. No, I was just wondering how does Gol does Golgoroth make you explode? Uh Green Knight actually kind of I know we kind of talked about this a little bit. Green Knight actually says this Ooh, in chat. Like you're it. vibrating at the wrong frequency. Okay. We we talked about this a little bit uh in chat when we were talking about the Oryx fight because of the question of um the nature of the ascendant realm that we are in during that fight, because the interesting uh, way that you can see our realm, you can see reality, physical reality, but we are supposedly in the psycho netherverse of Oryx, but we're also fighting the daughters of, and we're, we're going to get to this really soon, but we're fighting the daughters and we're killing them in throne worlds. And then we're, we're, uh, when we get, when we get torn between dimensions, it's like, how does that work within, is it a ascendant inception? You know, are you, are you in a dimension that's in a dimension that's in a dimension that's getting torn between dimensions? Like, how does that work? We, we kind of talked about that a little bit, the vibration of the, the light and the vibration of the guardian in and of itself. So. I like it. All right. You know, I like that. Yep. I figured you would. So anyways, What that brings us next to, so we we survive we survive squiggles. We get out. We you know we find out you know that the tablet of ruin is not inside him. So the grimoire is false mm-hmm. on that. And then we survive the unstable light, and we go through and we run through another little bit of a maze, and we come to what has become one of probably the most bittersweet rooms and the best place to troll anybody who has not gone through a raid the pistons 
there are a lot of names, none of which we are going to call out on this chat. Um, we'll just go with Pistons or the Boop Room. We'll go with that. Um, this is another jumping puzzle, and it combines uh, jumping with... I'm just... I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't gone through the raid. If you've gone through the raid, you know the room. If you haven't gone through the raid, you need to go through the raid so that you learn about this room. It was inspired yeah. by Dark Souls. I'm going to leave that there. Um, it's a jumping puzzle. It involves plates. There is an exotic chest. Pins, Halo, absolutely loves this room. If oh, you yeah, ever yes. want to get him really excited and really passionate in chat, you should bring this up. Um so once you survive the encounter of this room you 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 come to the final room of the raid and there is actually two section two segments within this final raid or final room and that is the first one is what's called the daughters of oryx now this is when you first walk into this room you'll see two death singers and you'll you'll come to find out that these death singers are Ir Halak and Ir Anuk. Um, and this this first seg the the daughters segment actually introduces a new dimension to the mechanics that will later get be used. Um, and that's the torn between dimensions, which we I kind of mentioned earlier. And then the jumping on platforms. And again, emphasis on the teamwork here. Emphasis on teamwork here because in order to get to these platforms to retrieve a spark in which which is what is necessary for your team to be able to do damage to the daughters of oryx you have to activate those platforms using what is, what is it three members is it three have to activate plates and then one person jumps yeah and then everyone meets in the middle and just shoots everything um so what what I'm going to do is I'm going to re I'm going to grab the ear halak card and this is these these cards are kind of in the order of they should be read together but I have to read them one at a time so we're going to guess we're going to start with ear halak the death singer or ear halak death singer and it says Oryx was dividing the spawn he cut them up he cut apart the larva with his sword and the two divided pieces grew into twins. She, who stands ahead at the prow of the ship of Oryx, her father, she is Ir Halak, the Unraveler. She plies her blades upon the fabric of space, cuts the seams, pulls apart the cloth, leaves worlds in tatters. So she, this this is the Death Singer that is sitting at the the figurehead of the ship, and she is literally parting the fabrics of space to make way for her father's ship. She's literally unraveling that, that space time fabric. Um, this is followed by ear Anuk. Ear Anuk, the death singer behind the unraveler comes ear Anuk, the weaver. She takes in hand the threads of her sister's work, weaves them into the tapestry of orcs as well. Realm. Listen, Anuk, Anuk who favors bitter things. Of the eleven axioms, choose one. Of the chosen, spare none. Upon ear's attendance, say, come ear, 
look, the truth is dead, which oh, that last bit mm-hmm. reads like a riddle. Well, yeah, yeah. No, because um, the the 11 axioms are, are like the 11 truths. Right. Well, so, and an axiom is the like the base truth. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah not, but it's saying of the 11 truths, choose one of the chosen, spare none. Upon ears attendant, say, come look, the truth is dead. It's, yeah, my, it's a it's, it's a riddle. I think if we figure that out, we'll know so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, there's there's a there's a couple points I want to make. We have talked about the the I don't even know what you would call about it, but it would be the title, I guess, of ear. Um, Bo Amos has been always always the one that I go to with some of these some of these questions. Uh, he's always very generous when we're playing games. And he's talking in our stream. So he always, he point, I remember talking to him about this one. And I remember him pointing out that ear is actually a noble title that is similar to Lord or Lady. So this is actually a, t- that is, that is a Lady Anouk, the Death Singer. So it's, it's an, it's a title of nobility. And it's interesting because there are only in the entire grimoire that we have available to us, there are only three characters named Ear, and all of them are Death Singers. That would be Ear Anuk, Ear Alak, and Ear Ute. And we've killed them all. Well, we've killed one of them. This <laughs> two of them we have we have banished. Now, the other thing that I wanted to point out here is that this is almost a nod to the Morai. Uh, in Rhino, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit in chat. The Morai are um, the fates, I guess, is the, the, the best way to explain them. The fates from Norse mythology, there's three of them. There is Clotho, Lachius, Lachius, and then um, Atropos. And each, each of the... In, you know the thing about the fates from this mythology is that you can't you can't attribute like past present future a lot of people want to attribute past present future to the three fates and it's really not that simple they they are a package deal um now they each have a different individual focus on what they do and their primary function is to maintain the the thread of life like the the life forces of the entire cosmos within the Norse mythology. And they, they're all based around Yggdrasil's roots, uh, which is another point to the tree that connects the nine realms of the Norse mythology. And each one of these care, each one of these Morai have a specific, like I said, they have a specific function. Clotho actually spins the spindle. Uh, Laxius measures the thread of a lifespan. And then Atropos actually cuts the thread uh, with the in- inevitability of death. And they, at the same time that they're doing this, the, the, the really clear nod here is at the same time that they are doing this, all three Morai sing death songs in unison. And it's very, very telling because what do we have here? We have two death singers. We actually have three death singers. If you remember, um, Ute, and they all sing death songs. 
And they all, they have now, we have an unweaver, an unraveler and a weaver. And I'm curious if Irayud, you know, technically Irayud cut the thread with Toland. So. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think you could say that. And it's actually really, really cool the way that the, the exotic black hammer, the black spindle, ties in with this. Other, other um, than being another slap to Crota. Yeah. No. Well, come on. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just it's another it's another instance of the so these are the sisters of Crota. These are Crota's sisters, and they're actually the ones who invented the Oversoul, uh, who invented the kind of the use of Oversouls, and who taught Crota and did all this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because Crota's sniper is the black hammer and theirs is the black spindle. If I yeah. remember right on the spindle, there's actually even more of a. Yeah, actually, I, I can to, read it. Real quick. Yeah, go ahead and read I've it. Got it up. It's, it's really good. Um, the black spindle, your only existence shall be that which I weave for you out of sorrow and woe. Um, <laughs> the followers of Crota swing hammers, sing death songs, fatal, final, absolute. Irhalak and Irinut laugh at Crota. Finality is a child's plaything, fit for one such as Crota, they say. No hammer for the unraveler and the weaver, but a spindle wound with woe for their foes. No end of suffering. Yeah, so they're they're kind of the masters you know, of torturing. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 torturers, whereas the death singer is an executioner. Well, no, I think Crota Crota's followers are the executioners, and well, the yeah, death singers yeah. are the the torturers. They're the Inquisition. Yeah. But it it says the followers of Crota swing hammers and sing death songs. Yeah, I think they're talking about you. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm saying, okay, Crota, I got you. Crota nope, I'm up, following you. I'm following you. Yeah. Crota set up, they kill you. But the Iranuk and Irhalak set up is we make you wish you were never born. <laughs> well, and that again ties back to the Morai. With, you know, yeah. you being attributed to Atropos, uh, the in- inevitability of death and the one who cuts but, the thread. But the that the black spindle seems to be a direct nod to that. To oh, that, well, and then also mythos. the fact that they have the term unraveler and, and weaver. And yeah, weaver. it all seems to be connected. And I apologize. Morai is actually from Greek mythology. I misspoke. I was thinking fates, which... They're also in the Norse mythos, but the Marai are from the Greek mythology. So before anybody Come yells on, at me, yeah, before anyone yells at me. Okay. So, uh, do we, have we talked about the orcs fight? We have not. And interesting enough, there is really not a grimoire card that is clearly That's attributed Two orcs. Now, Oryx, the Taken King, the the very first Grimoire card that we we spoke about, he, I mean, he has a Grimoire card, but it doesn't actually talk about you know anything in the fight necessarily. Um, 
Oryx has a as his own, you know, he is the final confrontation within the raid. He is his thing takes place in the same room as the daughters of Oryx. Once you've defeated the daughters, a spark appears at the end of the platform that you have to run and activate. You get the fun nope 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 moment where he comes up. Uh, anybody who doesn't know what that is in reference to, go check out the world's first completion of King's Fall, and you'll you'll understand. Um, and then the fight starts, and it's it's similar to the daughter's fight, but it's it's not. It's got some of the same mechanics. Basically, the torn between dimensions and the platform jumping are still there, but there are now orbs of blighted light, which also introduce two. Uh, well, it depends on the difficulty. If you're playing on heroic difficulty, there are two light eater variations of ogres and knights. And then there is actually a mini fight within this fight in which you are taken into what's called what we call the Thunderdome and you have to fight the Shade of Orcs. Um, that all happens. And we're going to talk about that in regards to lore. Now, remember when I was talking about with Squiggles or Golgoroth, uh, we had this this thing called unstable light. That is actually quite similar to the idea behind the blighted light. Uh, so what what we're doing is as we fight, we there there are different ads that get summoned, and Oryx is trying to hit us. Uh, he's trying to do damage, and as he does this. He calls forth his minions, and he, he you know, these, there are specific minions that have an inordinate amount of power and an inordinate amount of light, and once you kill them, they leave behind basically blight balls, which are balls of blighted light. And then, at that time, Oryx will call forth a light eater ogre or a light eater knight, and we have to kill those those figures before they can reclaim the light then once you in and technically i'm going to i'm going to go on the assumption that the challenge mode is actually the way that this this fight should be done not because you should do it that way but because the challenge mode makes a lot more sense in the way that the whole mechanics work as far as lore once you have roughly about 16 blights blighted light balls what you have to do is your guardians will run forth and you you touch these blight you touch this blighted light and you purify it you you purify this light and what happens is then and then you have to scramble and you have to get back into the progression the um protection of a brand uh, item and then what what happens is these blights explode and they explode in a manner that actually that's what's gonna that that is actually what kills orcs you're you can shoot orcs all you want you can do some damage but really you aren't doing damage to him um and and then once you and the reason I say this is once you've blown up all 16 or four rounds, roughly, of all these blighted light, um, you have a one, You well, you have a little bit of a surprise at the end. I don't, I, I don't want to ruin it. Like, you know, that, that last part is just such a, 
such an adrenaline rush. There's also a vessel of orcs that spawns with an yes, orb of sorry. Yes. Yep, go for and it. And his name is Cecil the Vessel. I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> Um But yeah, we take this aura of immortality from him, and that's actually what we stand in. Um when we when we are trying to survive. Um and uh, I'm trying to think if you missed anything. And I think you pretty much got it. Um, I think what we are doing to those blight, to the blights, to harm orcs, is not unlike, not unlike um, what Golgoroth does. Right. Right. With the unstable light. Right. And that's why I, I was think saying our light's that, interacting with the blighted version and it's it's yeah. Well and that's the and that's what's so that's what's so cool. I think it was um Oh, I don't remember who who made the comment in chat, but they actually they actually had a really good point. They said that they think that our superpower as a guardian is actually the ability to purify or reclaim light. Because every time we've done it in the Black Garden, in in uh, King's Fall, and there was one other that I'm not remembering off the top of my head, it's always met with a, huh, I didn't know you were going to do that. Or, like, they don't understand how it gets done or that they ever expect it. Like, ever. And it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, well, that's kind of, it, it's almost like something that they've never seen before. And this is this is kind of the whole whole like pinnacle of us doing exactly that. They we we reclaim the light. And we and Tolan gets like, and we'll read we'll read this in a bit. Tolan gets super pissed because he's like, "No, you're not you you what? You set it free. Like, why would you do that? Because remember." my my view of light and this kind of goes in line with that is the view of light is that it's power it's energy and you just you just set free an immense amount of energy and you didn't claim it you didn't claim it for yourself and that's exactly sword logic is i beat you i get your light which basically translates into i get your power literally i take you and i absorb your light and you become part of mine um, the other, the other really big emphasis, and this is like the entire Oryx fight. This is all I can think of most of the time when I'm, when I'm talking about it is this is the symbolic fight between a wolf pack and a lion. A wolf pack is just hunting down this larger predator and they are just harrying it to death because there is not one part in which one guardian takes over and does significant damage. It's a team effort. It's the it's that allocentricism of the guardian ranks. It's the wolf pack that takes on this lone predator who, in an, in and of its own right, I mean, this predator is an extreme danger, but it's a solitary predator. And the wolf pack outflanks it, outthinks it, and just wears it down. It's a war of attrition that is done in a brutal sense. And again, emphasis on the teamwork. 
that's yeah. what I keep. I mean, that literally yeah. all I can think of is yeah, Wolfpack. We are. I mean, there's usually the, the lion doesn't set up an obstacle course for the wolves. Well, but, I yeah. mean, yeah, but I'm I mean, that's why that's why I said symbolic. But I mean, yes, it, <laughs> but. I'm just messing with you. Yeah, I, I like it. It it is the ultimate juxtaposition of kind of our ethos versus you know the the paradigm of you know the sword realm. Um, right. And you know, I the biggest problem I have from time to time uh, trying to reconcile the lore with this fight is I get the feeling he, he never meant for this light to be used in this way. There's a lot of times during the raid where you feel like things are being laid out for you. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is a test. Pass this test. Complete this glyph sequence. You know, do this, do that. And you feel like you are completing things in a manner in which it was intended. And the orcs fight to me, if if that's true, it makes like zero sense to me. Well, um, I, 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 I get the might. feeling that they. I mean, they, I think I think never orcs intended uh, for us to take the light and do what we did with it. Or, or well, uh, yes, I don't think he might have. I don't know if he intended for the light to be utilized in that particular fashion. Now. And then that's that, not, that makes me wonder about the platforms. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I uh, the platforms, the platforms. Like why and, are there platforms up to it? Oh uh, god, the platforms are the biggest. I, I've always what we, we go have back to remember forth. here is you can have great lore and you can have a great game. You can have both at the same time, but it's really hard to have both and have them be. 100% lockstep never butt heads <laughs> and sometimes you just need a mechanic right and and yeah. yeah and that's that's true though the the next card that we have the insight card I think kind of points to he might not have expected us to use the light the way we did but yeah that's that's I think what I was yeah yeah you want to take that one yeah yeah I got it uh calcified fragments insight First five, nine. Um, I'll make sure. I've made preparations. If I'm defeated, I know it will be because my understanding of the universe was incomplete. I failed to anticipate some strategy, some nemesis, perhaps Tao, if she still lives. If I'm defeated, I know that I will fall to something mighty, something that craves might, something that loves what I love, which is the deep. A principle and a power, the versatile protein need to adapt and endure, to reach out and shape the universe entirely for that purpose, to mutate and redesign and test and iterate so that it can prevail, can seize existence and hold it, certain that this is everything, that there is nothing to life except living, and it has two faces, yet it is one shape. One face is the objective, which is obvious. The other face is that will to sacrifice things and ideas for a single mission. The mission of becoming the shape, a shape that will not relent. The utter commitment to survival, to draw the right sword and choose where to cut. 
to allow this hunger to become your weapon. I will prepare a book, which is a map to a weapon. And my vanquisher will read that book, seeking the weapon, and they will come to understand me, where I have been and where I was going. And then they will take up my weapon and they will use it. They will use that weapon, which is all that I am, and armed thus with my past and my future and my present, which is a weapon, a weapon that takes whatever is available, a weapon bound to malice. They will mantle me, Oryx, the Taken King. They will become me and I will become them, each of us defeating the other, correcting the other, alloying ourselves into one omnipotent philosophy. Thus, I will live forever. I'll make sure. Creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he did not call it very well. He said, if I'm defeated, it's going to be just this person who loves the deep like me. And nope. Well, he has he has the blinders of true faith on. Yeah, well, and I and I say that in in the, you know, the sense that he 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 cannot allow himself to think of a way of life outside of his own. Because remember, in the Books of Sorrow, he did that and he got punished very, very strictly. I mean, very roughly, he got punished for that. When yeah. he first this, first strayed from the path. Yeah, yeah. Well, this whole statement right here about if I'm defeated, I know that I'll fall to something mighty because I'm mighty, right? That is, in definition, a syllogism. That is the dogs have four legs. Right. It's the circular a dog logic. Isn't, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's That's exactly what that is. And that is why he is not an act. Like, I want to be like his mother and be like, this is why you're not an axiom, Oryx. <laughs> and <laughs> this type of thinking right here. <laughs> God, I need Mesa. Where's Mesa? <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's a really good card. Um, and I just, I don't think, I don't think he understands a guardian. Um. So he, there's no way he could have foreseen the way we would defeat him, which makes right. it all the and more even, baffling the way that fight set up. Well, that, and I think even if he had understood guardians, again, going back to the fact that we keep continuously doing things that confuse everybody, like not just Oryx. I mean, Toland was like, what are you doing? Like, you know, there's been multiple times where people have been like, well, oh, oh, like, we our guardian does things in a very different manner than than I think is usual for for even those who know guardians. Um, I did really want to I wanted to kind of talk about this real fast is an interesting thing on the ship for and so we we have defeated oryx right so the calcified fragment insight is the first card which is in the set of cards that i would attribute to after the raid so oryx is quote dead um we'll get onto that why i call that a quote dead moment here in a second but the 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 ship from the raid is called the agonarch carve and there's an there's a very 
fun little rabbit hole here. And Agonarch is a person who is kind of the leader of what of something called an agon. Now an agon has has multiple meanings. It's there's there's many 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 meanings in this. But there is a very very telling meaning in regards to the spiritual. It is that it is a struggle within the soul and generally that is and that kind of stems from the theatrical definition of agon which is a uh and it's an argument or a competition between two sides as presented by two actors or in in ancient theater there was a piece of uh the the cast i guess you would call it that was known as the chorus um and there was actually agons in which one actor would be against the chorus. And then, uh, you know, the chorus was kind of this third-party figure in theatrics at that time. And there are there are multiple f- makeups of plays in which agons would take place. You would have, you know, one actor against the chorus, one actor against uh, the other actor, and the chorus would be divided evenly. And then there's, you know, one actor against one actor, and the chorus was all on the side of one act. And it's like this whole, this whole very big thing. And an agonarch is the leader of an agon, so it is the person who wins the struggle, the person who, who comes out of this competition or this debate that won. Um, and so again, the contest or debate between two characters, which in the theater setting would develop between an actor and the chorus between two actors with half the chorus, blah, blah, blah. And these performances always resembled the dialectic, um, arguments of Plato, which was always a very big, uh, you know, very big argument, very, very theatrical, very verbose and very, very, very passionate. And so, what I'm saying here is the Aconaut carve is literally a ship that gives a nod to the struggle that you just won. You just won a debate with sword logic. You, you're the sword logic that you debated with Oryx. You are the, now the leader. You now are the Agonarch. And so you carve your ship out of that. And so that's where you get the Agonarch carve is that ship is a literal nod to you having survived the debate with Oryx of sword logic. Hmm. I actually like that. That's, that's not how I viewed the whole Agonarch thing. Um, I used the other definition of an Agon, which was, uh, public games. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The public. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can see, I can see that. The Agonarch being the judge or overseer, the master of yeah. ceremonies of these games. And then that always just immediately just took me to Court of Oryx. Yeah, and I can always, see that. I can see that, yeah. But the the wrinkle with the ship is actually a really good one. And it, it, it I don't know, that's... That's a pretty good. Uh, well, because I, I think my, my my argument against it being related to the judge would be that you the way that you acquire the ship, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm saying. The the bit with the ship is almost making me think you might be right. Now we have the Agonarch rune, which mm-hmm. I definitely see that as you being a judge in there. I mean, there like well, you, you know, said, I there's made, multiple. 
I made that connection a long, long time ago. And it was before hard mode came out, before we got the Agnot car, oh, car yeah. ship. And I just never the... revised my, my world view. <laughs> so, Success. so this is new stuff. Yeah. Um, now another another card you know kind of pulling back into the after raid grimoire cards another card that's a little bit in line with the insight card is the worm food and that is it's l which is the roman numeral for 50 um worm food and it says verse 5 8 worm food what will happen if i die It suits me to consider this, for I'm a great ally of death. My daughters stood the quiddity of death. My son practices the inhibition of death. And my great work is, in Ultima, to become as synonymous with death, to die and in that dying live, so that if the universe comes to nothing, then I will be a part of that nothing. Far better to have a savage universe with a happy end than a happy universe with no hope. I've died many times, but these deaths were only temporary. If my echoes are killed, and I am killed in the material world, then I will be driven back to my throne, the Dreadnought. If my court and my throne can be beaten, if I am confronted in my throne, if I am defeated there, then I will die. My work will end. This is the pact to which I am bound, in particular by my study of the Tablets of Ruin and by my use of the Power of the Deep. When I call upon that power, I put myself up as the stakes in a wager. I gamble with my soul, for I'm saying, listen, my gods, I am the mightiest thing there is, and I prove it thus. Lately, I have realized how much I depend on Crota and my daughters, and even upon my court. If I lost them, my outlays would exceed my intakes, my tribute would not be enough to feed my worm. But this is proper. For if I lost them, it would be because they are not mighty enough, and then I would be a bad father, a bad king. I must test them and fight with them to keep them strong. This is my guess. I will go on forever. I will understand everything. There is only one path, and that is the path that you make. But you can make more than one path. Break your cell's bars. Make a new shape. Make the shape from its path, find yourselves bars, break out of the bars, find a shape, make the shape from its path, eat the light, eat the path. If I fail, let me be worm food. So much to pick apart in that card. Um, <clears throat> so, Yeah. Basically, <laughs> he is he's researching his own his own options as far as what what he has available to cheat that final death and to become but not not cheat the final death but to overcome it to become to become the final death if it would if you were um so yeah, again, we we're seeing that or- Oryx is is maybe has maybe stacked the deck a bit in this wager that we are debating with him in. And there's there's a couple yeah, fun actually- there's a couple fun theories that are coming that are will be will mention here shortly. I love that that he says that 
he must test them and fight with them to keep them strong. This is my gas. That's an Irish folklore term for obligation. Mm-hmm. It's very weird that Oryx would that's, be using that's, that. And, and it's one that's magically imposed. It's not. Oh, wow. It's, I never, I didn't even it's not that. even. It's not even one that you like take up. It's it's like literally you yeah. are you are under a vow or a spell. Like you you don't really have a choice. Yeah, that's correct. Wow, I didn't even see that last part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then then he goes on the long break your cells bars and Oh god, that which, it it's so weird to read that out loud because it's like I feel like I just oh I did read that. I just read. I just Which, did read that. That needs to be. That needs to be on a motivational poster, <laughs> like with a cat hanging from a rope or something. Just it sounds like it's on a cat poster, but it yes, doesn't mean it's not that, true. That's because it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I have up Oryx defeated. Yes. <laughs> uh, listen. Death is the last part of living, and life is learning to die. Wow, how Bob Dylan of you orcs. That's nice. Or Leonardo da Vinci. Um, <laughs> yeah. The song is the same as the singing. The last truth commands me to eat all the light in the sky. I will go on forever. I will understand. Dwell a moment on the weight of what you've done. Contemplate the story you just ended. Will you ever do anything that screams down the, the millennia? Will you ever hammer your will on the universe until it rings and rings and rings? Oryx was an awesome power. Show reverence. All right. Enough. Enough. A vacancy has opened, hasn't it? How interesting. How very, very interesting. Do you ever pause, dear listener, to consider who benefits from all the heroism you commit? Do you ever look around and you feel the faintest chill? As if you're a tiny little ball bearing placed beneath a great mass so that it might, if pushed, begin to roll. You're a god yourself now. You've consecrated yourself. Emulate me. Use your power to learn. There are worse things to practice being. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Toland. That was all really, <laughs> that was, that was very helpful. <laughs> and creepy. <laughs> and creepy. Way to go. Ticked all the boxes for a, to- for a Toland conversation. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a Toland conversation when you have to, when you feel like you need to go take a shower afterwards. Yes. Because <laughs> all the hivey hiveness. <clears throat> I-, I love the, the symbolism of the ball bearing. Yeah. I, I think that's, that I analogy think is pretty cool. Yeah. And I think we've, we've talked about that before too. And I think that's really, I think that really is a good summary of our guardian too, is because, you know, the little ball bearing, when, when you just look at it, you're like, that's not really that, not really. Okay. But not that significant. Right. But then, you know, he's, he's exactly right. You put it underneath something. And all you have to do is tap it, and that ball bearing will allow it to move pretty effortlessly. You can move, you can, you know, you can move amazing loads of weight if you know where to put the right 
the right ball bearing or the right, you know, lever or whatever. Um, so I think, I think that's a really, again, breaks preparing us hmm. surprising everybody. And then we get to the really fun one, which is King's fall. <clears throat> and it's, <laughs> I'm going to, tr- I'm going to try to get through this card without laughing. I, I really am because it's just so great. It's, it's okay. Funny. So King's fall, where are you going? No, wait, listen, I was right. At first, in the ever-expanding blighted place, even light must obey the sword logic. Even you guardians, you best and brightest of the dying dawn, you drew blood in honor of the taken king. The war priest did his duty, and you did yours. Our oryx was challenged, yes, but challenged in the way of the hive, which is to say that the challenge is worship, is challenge, is power, sword logic. You played your part well. You were not supposed to touch the light. How did you find your way into the king's cellars? How did you even recognize the benighted draught for what it was? Do you not know that the hive pursue light precisely for the purpose of devouring it with slavering jaws and slick, greedy, gulping throats? How did you take, or or rather untake, the blighted light that orcs gathered to offer in sacrifice to Akka and ignite it so that it burned and burned the darkness? It was barely light anymore, but you took it. And when you took it, you did not keep it. You set it free. You fools. You disastrous, bumbling squanderers. It's not right. Who now shall be first navigator, lord of shapes, harrowed god, taken king? Not you. You might have been kings and queens of the deep. But you have toppled Oryx and you have not replaced him. There must be a strongest one. It is the architecture of these spaces. Why are you leaving? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go mute. I'm going to go mute my mic for a second. So, I'm, oh my gosh! I think, I think every single conversation with Tolan should end with him saying, "Why are you leaving?" <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, Tolan's got his panties in a bunch because <laughs> because we didn't play by the rules. First, he's, he's like he can't comprehend it he's like so first of all how'd you even do that and then why and then why would you do that why um yeah so um, yeah i'm sorry i just it just it just could get like this mental image of like this this etheric toland who's just like Azzing out. He can't, he can't like, it's like Casper when he's really pissed. He can't touch anything. Mm-hmm. He's just like swinging and trying to hit. I just, oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm, so do I'm, you, do you see why crying. I have kind of, why I have qualms with the, with the orcs fight? Because it's, it's like we weren't even like the, the light was not like some sort of, some sort right. of like a challenge laid out for us. It well, was literally an offering. And see, I think that's that's the part that I always take from this card. Um was his question of how did you find your way into the king's cellars? Uh we weren't supposed to be down there. We weren't supposed to be. We weren't supposed to encounter Golgoroth. Because remember, like I said, Golgoroth's unstable light was a harbinger of the fight with Oryx. Golgoroth used a strategy against us 
which used our light to explode. And then we turned the tables, beat Golgroth, and then took that tactic and used it against orcs. Right? I mean, yeah. it's like, that's exactly, that's exactly. The Hive have a really, I think there was someone in, there was up in chat that made this comment. The Hive have this really bad habit of showing us exactly how to kill each other. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's really, really bad. It's, they're, they're, they're one, well, one of the many weaknesses of the Hive. It's like, it seems like every time we learn a strategy from the Hive, it's like, oh, that would work Cute. against your boss. <laughs> Yeah. Hubris. It's it's rank. It's just all over. It's like hivey hiveness. It's just it's just yes. everywhere. A hivey type of hiveness. Um so after that, um we have a pretty cool card for one of the exotic swords that I think is probably kind of relevant. It's so um, pretty. Dark drinker. I don't I I, I only has Braze Lighter. I have dark or, drinker. Sorry, bulk, it's really pretty. Bolt caster. I bulk like. Caster. I like it. Um, dark drinker. Draw close now. Closer, yes. Let me tell you why you should not fear Willbreaker, the Sword of Orcs. Firstly, its blade is not dulled by age. Each death it trades for life hones its edge, gives it weight, and gravitas and insistence within the vortex of its own totality. Nextly, Willbreaker <laughs> transcends liminality. Willbreaker demands a subjugation more diffuse than the quip, simple snick and smash of the physical brink. It does not have to touch you to wound you. And lastly, and this is critical, to be taken in Willbreaker's grasp is to know true bliss, and that is to be simplified that is, to be reduced to one's most basic level, shedding all higher order thoughts of fear or duty or selfishness. That is, to feel only pain. Now do you see? Now do you understand what you've done? So the main thing I'm getting from this card is Hurt's new name is Willbreaker. Um <laughs> It could it could hurt you with that. It doesn't have to touch you to wound you. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm sorry, that's off. That's off topic. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's my favorite quote about Willbreaker is is um to be taken in Willbreaker's grasp is to know true bliss. That is to be simplified. Um, um there was there was one's kind of skewed. Yeah, <laughs> there was a. It made me think, actually, of Psylocke, the Defiled, because Psylocke is completely obsessed with pain. Like it, it, like he he wants, or it wants pain, 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 like more and more. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Glorious pain, you know, give me more, give me more. The greater the anguish, the greater the reward." Um, yeah, that's, that's what dark drinker, like when it's, when he's talking about, uh, the critical part is to be taken into will breakers grasp is to know true bliss to feel only pain. That's what completely mm-hmm. stands out to me. Um, let's see. I think there's one last card 
and that is Norurusk, the servant of Oryx. And the reason the the reason this is relevant to the raid is it kind of shows the blossoming individuality of those who are left behind after Oryx is gone, both Taken and Hive. And so it says, a king is dead, but his power lingers. A king is dead, and with him the fatal flaw. This was not conquest, this war where light yet offends. This was selfish, a father's rage in place of a king's measured hand. There was a time to conquer the light that a purer truth might overtake all that played at inspiration. The time is not now. A son's failure brought about the father's fall. A king is dead, his power lingers unclaimed. A king is dead, his pride and lineage meant to stretch across time and stars serving as, serving as his undoing. Bornorusk has no lineage to consider. Norusk has no flaw. He is a soldier, a general, a maker of war. Once a servant, his eyes turn toward the vacant throne. There, for the taking on the other side of this temporary cage. A king is dead, good riddance. A king will rise, if not Norusk, another, if not another. So, that's funny. We're talking about a taken um, cabal, Mm -hmm. centurion, um, having aspirations. Right. He, he's got his eyes on a vacancy. Um, well, no. Also, it, it very heavily talks about um, Oryx's pride and his, maybe not love for Crota, but like his, his kind of, not, a, I don't know if emotion's the right word. Well, but he let, he, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I don't know. Hubris if is probably just the only word you can use. Um, it just, leading to his fall. And I'd always read all the books of sorrow where they say, if they, if they die, it's because they weren't worthy. Like mm-hmm. I would have never imagined orcs kind of being upset, you know? And when they were doing the lead up to take to the taken King, they were like, Oh, you killed his son. Now he's coming for you. Having read the books of sorrow and all that started to seem a little ridiculous. I was like, he doesn't care. But I think that's the, that's where the 3D nature of his character starts coming in. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm trying, trying to think. He wasn't perfect. No, he wasn't. And that's the thing is like, he was still a father. When it, when it was all said and done, you killed his son. And if you don't want to go there, you killed one of his greatest subjects. One of his greatest uh, sources of tribute. Yeah. Like Crota gave him a lot of tribute and you, you killed him. So even, even ignoring the familial ties there, which I mean, I, <clears throat> I understand like, <laughs> like <laughs> I'll be honest, you come after my son, I would be a little pissed to, to say the least. Um, yeah, but he still lives at home. You didn't throw him out the window <laughs> by his legs, like, by his legs. <laughs> No, I mean, but I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like I can see the the um, 
the complexity. Like it, it's one he's pushing Crota and he's pushing, you know, well, he, he does the same thing to his sisters. He does the same thing to his two daughters. It, I mean, for God's sakes, his, his daughters, he cut them in half when they were infants, when they were larvae. He took his sword, he took Willbreaker and cut them in half and then looked at them and went, huh, you survived. I really love you. You know, it, the hive showed love in a very sadistic manner. Um, I thought that was, I thought that was Crota that he cut a larva in half and half of it. No, no, that was Anuk and Halak. That was how that was how oh, was a nuke and Halak came to be. Was they were originally one, and he cut them in half, and then was okay. like, "Huh, you survived. You were you were you know blah blah," blah and then just went on his way. So I mean, I, <laughs> no, he doesn't quote love. You know the fuzzy meaning of the word, but still, it's his family. You killed his son. You killed his his. You know, like Norris just said, like the the lineage that was supposed to to span the time and space, you killed his heir. Which, admittedly, he didn't really give much to his heir because he basically didn't trust him, and he fed all the the really cool stuff to the dog that he put in the basement. But the thought process there is, I, I mean, I I really see it. And the the other thing is, I wanted to to point here is that suit. That Suzranti conversation that we had earlier, this is the confirmation that that is exactly what's going on. Is Oryx controls them on the outside, but he he kind of allows the internal internal logic and me- mechanisms within them to do their own thing. Right. I mean, does that I mean does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I'm with that. And that actually brings us to the end of the grimoire in regards to the raid, which actually it took us a lot less than I thought I was going to. Um, I did really fast want to retouch on the Agonarch carve um, because I found I found another really kind of not really it, nah, it's not really lore connected, but it's an interesting connection to me at least. Um, if you read the Agonaut Cars flavor text, it's life is pain, pain is power, and power is life. And it's a quote from Toll in the Shatter. The reason I bring this up is that there's a quote from a really, really good book that if you haven't read, I really strongly advise you to read. It's called Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, uh, who, who is a good author, and that's where I'm going to stop talking about him. Um, but there's a quote from Ender that says the power to cause pain is the only power that matters the power to kill and destroy because if you can't kill you are always a subject to those who can and nothing and no one will ever save you and so that that's like when i read that when i read that quote for the agonarch or agonarch carve i was like that's really familiar and i had to i had to actually go digging through the ender's game uh, well, and through a couple other books, because I was like, I know I've read this somewhere. Um, but yeah, so that was like, I was like, that is really, and then, then there was another really fun uh, connection with the, I'm trying to remember which card it was that you were reading. 
Oryx defeated. Uh, the death is the last part of living and life is learning to die. That is very similar to a Le- I think it was Leonardo da Vinci um, quote where he says that, oh, I'm trying to remember what the exact quote is, but he basically says pretty much the exact same thing. Um, he says that, let me make sure I'm quoting this right. While I thought that I was learning how to live, I have been learning how to die. So there was, there was a couple, there was a couple really, really good quotes that came to mind when I was doing some of the, the research and notes for these things. Um, I'm trying to think all the raid armor and the raid weapons, they have some really cool flavor text. We have them all linked on the mind map that we've talked about. Uh, there is a couple of fun little extra lore items. I want, do you want to, you want to talk about the taken shiver and the theory about Oryx's death? Uh, yeah, go right in. Okay. So there's been a number of theories thrown around about the, the ending of the King's fall raid. Uh, once, once you finish the raid and once you've actually completely killed Oryx, you'll notice that the, the mechanics, uh, as far as the mechanics go, the animation of his death do not match up with the other <clears throat> major figures' deaths, uh, both in raids and actually in missions. Um, there's there's a bit of disparity between them, and that disparity is is that whereas, especially within the Crota's end raid, you know, Crota kind of dissolves into a, a shining light and then just dissipates into the air, Crota actually just kind of turns into a chrysalis and floats away. Like, he doesn't actually disappear. He just falls into Saturn. And if you look really closely at his body, you'll notice that the body has been converted into worm, worm spore spikes, and there is actually still a light inside his chest. Now, we've talked about the Grimoire card, having or the grimoire cards in which he has had this elaborate plan for if he dies and you know what he was going to do and blah 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 and then we also have an introduction of a weapon from the the crota's end or not crota's end the king's fall called the touch of malice and we'll, i'm going to touch on that in just a second but the 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 one thing i wanted to talk about real fast is the emote the taken shiver and which, you know, it's kind of a cool thing. Uh, it's a nod to the violent baptism of darkness that the Taken are put through. But the flavor text is an interesting little thing. It says, Oryx is dead, right? Which got a lot of people thinking. It's like, wait, hang on. Wait, wait, where is this pointing to? And yeah. the touch, the touch of malice is the kind of another little nod to this and the it's a scout rifle uh that you get by doing really really annoying 
progress things and all this stuff. And basically what it is though, is at the center of the touch of malice is a, is a small orb of blackness. And what you come to find out is that it's almost an aspect of the realization of what Oryx is. And it's a nod to his re it's, it's basically defining Oryx as every time you kill something with it. Now, those of you who have read the books of sorrow, remember that has a big implication when it comes to the three main hive, because Oryx did this with his sisters he killed Savathun and Zero to gain their power via sword logic, and then which allowed him to then go kill Akka because of his his now accumulated power through the the deaths the true deaths of his sisters. But then after he kills Akka and he communes with the deep and he becomes the Taken King, he is actually able to resurrect his sisters by defining them, by redefining them in the world. He brings them back into existence. And so there is a there's a theory out there. Actually, there's a number of shades of this theory, but there's a theory out there that all what all that we did for King's Fall, all we did was we freed Oryx of his worm because we killed him. We killed his his body, which therefore the worm that is in, that is infesting him no longer can can eat him, but. If we killed the body, but are redefining him via the touch of malice, and we redefine him to enough of to a big enough degree, we could technically look at a situation in which Oryx comes back because we've redefined him in our reality, and now he's Oryx without the worm, which is a bit of a problem. Uh, he's off the chain. He, yeah, he's he's now no longer required to pay tribute, but he theoretically so, might still have the capabilities that he did. So let me ask you this. Wouldn't doing that, wouldn't that be selling his people up the river? Because that's not the last worm. Well, either that or he's going to wage... I mean, you're you're assuming that he's not... Because remember in the Books of Sorrow, the betrayal card, when he realizes the Faustian bargain, exactly what they got themselves into. You know, I, I mean, he he's not happy with the worms, but at the same time, he has to play by the rules. But yet he just faced off against someone who used light in a way that no one, no one knew was possible. And so, and then there's also the fact and this is one of the ones that this is kind of a tidbit that I found interesting was <clears throat> Oryx is called the navigator. That's the title that he takes, um, you know, even from the beginning and he dies. Well, we have another person who's in the ascendant realm who, when we found out that he went to the ascendant realm, there was something that he said. He said that he's mapping the ascendant realm. He's mapping the sea of screams. Well, the point here is, what does any navigator really need to fully navigate? They need a map. So you now have a potential, and this is a this is a very like far out theory. Like you know, this is complete on on your scale of zero to Payan. This is Payan riding a Chinese dragon over the rainbow. But you have a possibility that you have now a navigator in the same realm 
as a person making a map and that navigator is no longer chained to anything they can he can go wherever he wants and the reason that's the the other argument for this is exactly that the worm gods uh, hurt chains putting this in the chat right now akka was killed akka still lives the ahamkara have proven this as well they're dead but they still talk they still communicate to everybody unless you dip them in silver then sometimes it helps that quiets the auditory hallucination <laughs> the auditory hallucination <laughs> so i mean it, it was just it was one of those really fun theories that i've seen in a number of different places not just our chat there's there's you know a number of people over on the destiny lore reddit um there's a couple of people who run bungees, you know, the different, different chat rooms that I've been in. I've seen everyone kind of be like, wait, hang on a second. Is there a possibility that Oryx is not actually gone? And the answer is, yeah, there is, there is a really strong possibility that there is, that's exactly what might happen. And so other than that, um, the other argument for the Oryx death theory is Fundament and Saturn are very similar celestial bodies, i.e. they're both really good growing spaces for a fledgling worm god. And Oryx had a worm in his chest. And like I said, when you see him floating down to Saturn, there is still light in his chest. So the question question remains, is he actually gone? Now, yeah, whether and- or not that actually gets acted on it's worth saying when you go to shoot him he makes no attempt to cover that up whatsoever he's just like here it is you know giant glowing belly button shoot it (laughs) um and the only the only other really big point you know was the uh the parallel to the crotazen raid you know is very very over the top um and I think we kind of talked about that. There was there was a similarity that uh, Rhino brought up with the uh, Zybalbin ball court uh, within Oryx's death realm. Uh, it's it's an interesting thing because uh, basically Zabalba is the I want to say it's a Meso Mesoamerican native Amer- or Mesoamerican belief. And let me make sure I'm going to grab my notes real fast on this one. Yeah, it's um, Aztec. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Mayan. Sheepbound Mayan. Uh, it's, oh, okay. it's a Mayan. It's yours? It's a Mayan. Yeah, it's mine. Uh, it's, Mayan. It's, it's roughly translated as place of fear. And the, in, the, the connection that is being made here is the, the hidden basketball court within the Pistons. Uh, segment of the raid uh, is just it's kind of an interesting nod to the Zabalbin ball court because the um, it's it's believed that you would go in it's I it's it's a really it's an interesting sport but it's really hard to describe it's like a weird combination of soccer football and basketball yeah um, you play with your hip yeah you also don't play with a ball you play with heads um yeah. well well that that was the original the original but in in Zabalba the which is the kind of the the afterlife um slash hell uh 
there was a Zabalbin ball court. And basically what happened in this ball court was they played the sport um, and whoever lost died like permanently or was tortured. And like, it was very, 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 very bad. <laughs> so, but there, it's, there is a connection there with that, with that basketball court in the Pistons room. And then also the hall of souls, a little bit. Anytime you have a tomb husk that you have to slam in, uh, it there's kind of a nod that the the big difference. Yeah, and Green, I just tossed this in chat. The big difference between this and basketball is within, and I don't think it's not. I don't. I don't remember what the actual sport is called, but it's basically. But the big difference is that the hoop that you have to score in is actually on the wall and it's vertical instead of horizontal. So it's, it's a really look it up. It's amazing, but it's also terrifyingly violent, like very violent sport. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's really apparently, Oh, in chat. Yeah. Okay. Shows the the road to El Dorado. Apparently it was played with an armadillo. So there's yeah. That. Well, that's a, that's that's a cartoon. So you know, don't get too excited there. <laughs> I mean, and so I think that's that's roughly everything that we talked about. I mean, the raid was an immense immense amount of information. Uh, we captured a large percentage of it on the mind map. So please, please be sure to check that out. Uh, we have all, like I said, we have all the raid gear. Um, linked up we have all the grimoire cards linked up for you guys to read and we have it in the same order that we read it on here so if you want to see what we're looking at that's the way to do that um links will be in the show notes and yeah. i think do you have anything i actually have a quick one real quick go for Just it one quick and i don't really think it needs much uh the plates oh that's, that right. Persist, that's right that's right the plates that persist with everything to do with the hive and to a, to a lesser extent, well, not to a lesser extent, but also the Vex. Um, I actually think the more I look at them and the more I I think about them, I think these are like tithing kiosks that, uh, and if you think about, I I think about King's fall as a raid and Proto's end as well. as like this living diorama of a sword, logic hierarchy and you start at the beginning and you have to satisfy these plates and and you're actually as a guardian you're tricking you're tricking the mechanism into thinking you're tithing light that you've collected when really you're just tithing your own light um and it's that's just the kind of the way i've come to i've come to think about it is there, I like to think that the the little mechanic things in the beginnings of the raids, like especially the hive raids, are things that are functional to the hive, not something that was put there just so a raid team would have an objective to make it through. Yeah, um, I know. And that would make. I know when we talked I, about I it, you you trying to get through there and actually gain an audience with right. orcs and become ascendant. Right. No, no, no. And I totally get that. I know when we talked about it with Encroda's raid, we tossed around the idea that they were actually um, focal points for our guardians, 
not necessarily something that the hive could see. Well, not that oh, they yeah. could see, but like <clears throat> that they didn't actually use use because we perceive them to be there as well as a way to help us focus our energies or our light into manifesting certain things. I mean, there's there's a couple different theories that I've seen tossed around with it. It, it also depends on it also depends on what your understanding of light is um i think to a degree because given how you understand light then that also influences you know how you view it being utilized but no i can totally see that i can i can completely see that and that's why when we said we were talking about the hall of souls and the tomb husk i mean you could also say the other thing same thing about the tomb husk you could say that the tomb husk is a repository a um yeah, I think a, it's a vessel. It's a tribute vessel. Off. You know, the same yeah. way that the chalice in Crota's End was kind of a focal point for him to uh, to uh, to imbibe the tribute. It could be yeah. a way that we that uh, the hive deliver the tribute to those. Just, I mean, think about some of the language too. The war priest deems you worthy. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You get like things like the brand of the initiate. This all smacks of you're going through, you're you're passing tests. You're mm-hmm. you're giving your tribute, and it's and you're being it's, sanctified. You know, yeah, pretty much. And then, uh, yeah, and then I think we're just tricking the system because light is light, whether it comes from you know, from a hive that got you know. Like, stole it or it comes from us it's tribute is tribute yeah well and then that's the unstable light and the the way that we defeat oryx kind of confirms that because light is we know that our light will will interact with with hive hive mechanisms from back in the last or the first crota fire team one of those cards where tolan says us being here our light, we are waking Crota. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, then we have like the whole torturing of Omar and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where they were literally taking our light to feed themselves. Yeah. So the string cheese incident. Oh God, why? Why do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but other than that, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Oh man. All right. Well, you know. Um. I guess my my main shout out is if you have if you're following us on Twitter you'll see that we've we've been we've been chatting with a new Twitter account and that is the Destiny Lorecast. Um this is a new podcast that it has that I don't think I don't think they have an episode out just yet. I think they're still working on the scheduling of that. But there it's a group of awesome guys. Um it's comprised of Mike from Planet Destiny. Um which who who we had on in the past, um, a non pig from everywhere. I don't I don't know anywhere that I haven't seen him kind of floating around. He's he's over on Reddit. He's in uh, the Bungie store or the Bungie Bungie store. He's in the Bungie, the Bungie store. Yeah, he's in the Bungie store. No, he's in the the Bungie message boards. He's got some amazing theories with that. He's in the Dos, uh, Destiny Ghost Cat Destiny ghost stories slack chat um and he does just amazing stuff with his theories on especially the fallen he's a he's a really big fan of the fallen um 
and then also Handsome Dragon, uh, who you you will probably all recognize from Destiny Ghost Stories as well. He's actually also in our Discord chat as you know as well. So yeah, give them a follow if you haven't already. Uh, they it sounds like it's going to be another really fun team that's going to be out there doing lore stuff. Uh, we've been talking to them about some exciting possible things going on that we might, we're going to be doing after the drop of rise of iron. Um, and then my, my other shout out is, well, I'll save that for later. Justin, I'm going to let you take over. Yeah. Yeah. I like the great big O. Sorry, um, I I was I was thinking I was thinking and I was like no wait it's not like yeah 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 thank you for that um <laughs> uh, yeah I just great big shout out uh, to hopefully everyone that I get to meet at Destiny Community Con um, really looking forward to that if if any of our listeners are going to be out at that just be sure and look me up I'll be the I'll be the dumb one with the focus fire shirt on. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, also I would like to say we are working to get things up on Spreadshirt for, to have some t-shirts available for you guys and details on that will actually follow pretty soon on that. And I'd like to give a big shout out to the live chat tonight um, for, for showing up uh, and keeping it lively. Really appreciate it. And lastly, but not leastly, um, nextly, big shout out. Nextly, nextly, uh, big shout out to my clan, DOD Chatter White Crew. And uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) So that does it for me. Awesome. I have so much that Blue's making me just hold inside. (laughs) Well, with that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback or questions concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback on iTunes as well. We try to keep to the scheduled Wednesday night streams of the chat starting at approximately 10 p.m. Central, But if we have any variations, we always make sure to let everyone know through our Twitter account at Focus Fire Chat. Also, please be sure to check out our partner podcast within the Guardian Radio Network over on theguardiansofdestiny.com. And remember that next week we will be recording on Tuesday night instead of Wednesday night due to travel requirements for us all to get to Destiny Community Con. So until next time, focus your fire. And may your light shine bright.